Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Good morning, uh, and welcome to episode 41 of the Tomato Timer. And I have a really cool guest, my friend Akash, who is the founder of Cheering Education, um, and also uh, graduated with a degree in robotics from Queen Mary. From Queen Mary. Um, he's really interested in robotics as well. So he's been um, awarded first prize in, I think, the Robotics Olymp- Olympiad recently. Um, and it's really cool to have you. Um, Akash, how are you doing? I'm fine, Zubir. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, b- big fan of Z Notes and everything you guys do here. Thank you so much. Um, so I have been waiting for someone like you to join the episode uh, for a while now because uh, we've had a lot of questions from our from our students, specifically about kind of breaking into tech and thinking about what universities degrees that lead to that, and just being kind of overwhelmed with the options that are out there, and or maybe sometimes not realizing that there are lots of pathways to take. So you're you're an example. You know, you did robotics, um, but there are so many examples of degrees now, whether it's pure computer science, computer engineering, software engineering, and right. now the newer degrees such as data and AI. Um, it's it's I I'm honestly confused. I don't even know what makes what what means what. Um, so maybe you can kind of help us understand a little bit. Um, if I what what are the what do these kind of different pathways entail and and who who fits where? Right, definitely. I mean that's a good question. Uh, so so it's always contextual. Of course, it depends on um, what the students study in high school and so forth. But just in a general sense, in terms of computing, uh, especially just locally in terms of the UK, you have computer science um, as a really popular course. And and that's what I would say has the most breadth. So it covers kind of all aspects of software, hardware, um, data, and even like emerging technologies such such as AI. Um, And then you have kind of more specific niche courses like software engineering, um, data analysis, um, some even have um, music production in computing and so forth. Um, so in terms of software engineering, that's really kind of geared towards the the industry. So the way the UK curriculum focuses on that is that it's almost as if it's a three-year boot camp as in a pathway to go into the software industry. Mm-hmm. So that's where you really have to have your mindset before you join the course, I would recommend. Um, in terms of I want to be a software engineer or I want to end up at a great company like Google or Microsoft writing code. Whereas I believe um, if you choose computer science, your your options are always open. You can go into consultancy. You can even go into other forms of engineering or even mathematics. Um, And so definitely I I think like my recommendation is um, if you're not defined in terms of what exactly you want to do, computer science is always a really good way to start. Um, and it gives you a good solid um, groundwork of logic um, just to go about mm-hmm. um, if you want to study a master's or go further somewhere in the industry. Understood. Um, so actually, you're, you're absolutely right, because uh, I also was exposed a little bit. I did a CS course um, in my third year, I think. Um, and uh, computer science and math are often like, interlinked um, because there's quite a lot of theory there. And maybe that's an important point to also maybe highlight and you can tell me a little bit more. I'm not 100% familiar, but 
what I've understood is that, you know, you guys learn a lot about the abstract aspects of computing, you know, um, I can't, I can't remember, but you know, there's how memory stacks are formed and systems right. and courses and stuff like that, which are heavily theoretical. Um, and often like, at least from a, a, a common misconception is that when you go CS, you're programming day in, day out. And obviously there is a big yeah. chunk of programming, but you know, there's a lot of theoretical aspects that you're learning as well, which is interesting. And sometimes it's good because it exposes you, as, as you said, you know, to that, to the theory of logic and the theory of, 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 of the computer itself. But right. for some students, it might not be what they're looking for. Um, maybe you can also add, add together kind of your experience of studying robotics. How did that differ from, let's say, a, a very kind of straightforward CS degree? Um, sure. So uh, even coming to uni, I mean, I, I wasn't sure at all that uh, I wanted to study robotics. Um, just for me personally, it had the most breadth. So it let me take modules of mechanic, um, even chemical engineering, um, computer science, electrical engineering, mathematics, and so forth. So for me, it was more about getting kind of a well-rounded education. And then in my final year, specializing, um, of course, in robotics. Um, but in terms of your question, I, I do believe a lot of people underestimate the amount of mathematics involved in computer yeah. science. Um, actually, these days, uh, uh, you'll find that a lot of PhDs in mathematics um, and so forth um, go and are, are kind of the leaders and the CTOs of these large software companies, mm -hmm. because it, it does involve a lot of logic and abstract thinking. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do believe that going into a computer science degree, one should know that um, you're going to have to kind of understand not only foundations of mathematics, but also specific types like abstract algebra, linear algebra, uh, and, and so on. Because, uh, I mean, computers are complicated machines, yeah. <laughs> as we all know. And um, to really understand, like... Um, the abstraction of what zero and one really means. Um, that takes a really low level understanding. Um, uh, and I'm not gonna lie to you, that's not something I believe um, either of us even may completely have or even a PhD um, student may have because uh, that's something that's always developing. Um, but I do believe uh, it, it shouldn't be something that intimidates students in terms of computer science because um, it, as long as you study um, mathematics at, let's say, the IB standard level or A-level computer science, uh, A-level mathematics, you, you should be fine and you should have the predefined requisites um, to go into a computer science course. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, uh, the logic that they're taught with kind of this abstract thinking is going to help them throughout their life. I mean, it, it's been shown over and over again by research that um, like students who took courses at on module on algorithms and data structures, um, even as an elective, if they weren't CS students, um, they turned out to perform ten times better at um, like interviews for big four firms and so on, yeah. uh, and solving case studies because it gives you profound logic and in kind of no other manner, I believe, than any other subject um, where you have to connect. Um, dots and notes from almost all aspects of yeah. thinking. So it, it gets really interesting and abstract. And I mean, not to digress, but I, defi I definitely don't think it should be an intimidation factor. 
Mm -hmm. um, it should be something that people do look forward to. Um, and and yeah, I mean, uh, I do think, uh, I still go back to my first point that computer science as a general subject um, is a good starting point rather than picking your nose and saying, I want to do software engineering right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And what the kind of the point you're making, it makes me think of, you know, lateral thinking problems, which are often used by not just big four, but like almost any tech company out there who, who want right. to test, you know, yes, your programming skills, but at the end of the day, like I, I don't know if I'm making this sound too simple, but you know, it's really, it's not too difficult to write a set, a line of, a set of code, you know, but to be able to build lot like the code in such a logic that it is most efficient, it's most effective. Um, these things don't come from the skills of being able to, you know, write deaf function or something like that. Um, it's, it's a lot to do with how your brain starts to connect uh, the different variables, the different requirements into an algorithm. Um, and that only happens when you're able to abstractify, right? Take the problem away from it's very like, you know, concrete examples and say, okay, let's take it to the kind of this vector space and think about it from all the different angles. What is the best possible solution, most robust solution, most effective, most efficient solution to then propose um, and I, I, I've witnessed this um, firsthand when, I, when we've been developing Xenotes and, you know, we see, oh man, we could have built our database structure like this and it would have been so much better. And by going about it in one way, we've, we've essentially made so many more queries and it's like, it's, it's like expanding, ever expanding and never scalable. Um, it's a, it's a big, big aspect. Now I've witnessed it definitely in, in, in how techs, tech startups, tech companies hire students. So in any case, I, I think I'll just like to reinforce your point, um, whether you go down CS or not, um, even if you're doing software engineering, which is completely fine, which is great uh, and, and a good course to choose if you really are in the like, specifically building web or you know product uh, public facing products, um, to have a, a really strong sense of logic uh, right. and the ability to you know to have a very like this lateral thinking approach to things, it, it makes such a big difference. Now, I want to address another major kind of um, uh, misconception uh, or, or like something that's often like talked about a lot without actually people knowing what it is about, um, which is AI and data science and machine learning. Um, and I'm going to throw it all together because I think you'll, you can like kind of unpick it for me a little bit. Um, but, you know, every other startup or every kind of other company is like throwing this word into their onto their homepage and landing pages and they're like, oh, we use AI driven models and stuff like that. Um, we're obviously excited as young people to be engaging with this kind of technology, but what is it exactly? Uh, and how how can we be engaging with it? You know, let's say at a university level or if we're going into industry, how will that be kind of affecting us, right? Or how can we be implementing it in our solutions? Right, uh, definitely. I mean, so, Let's start by breaking down just kind of like the three buzzwords, um, yeah. as you said. So we have AI, machine learning, and data analysis, or sometimes known as big data. Yeah. Um, so I'd definitely say artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, they're cross-functional. They're definitely interlinked. Um, one happens by virtue of the other. Mm -hmm. um, and artificial intelligence is kind of, um, you can think of it as um, kind of the top of the hierarchy. It's just the general... Um, description um, that they would give when you're taking a bunch of data and then you're 
taking large sets of data and training them in order to perform a certain function or find out um, an output, whether it's desired or undesired. Um, so more specifically, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that AI enables you um, to perform um, the training of these data sets in no other way we could before, because right now we're taking large amounts of data, um, I mean, millions and millions of points, um, and, and we're training them using algorithms that um, I previously mentioned, like a course like algorithms and data structures. And then we're using that to, to gain a desired output. Mm -hmm. So the training of this data is actually called machine learning. So that's when um, the machine, in fact, learns how to train this data. And how does it learn that? We provide it with the algorithms. Uh, and then another buzzword, the third one was data analysis. This is more of, um, especially these days with the way um, the status quo is and the way the industry is going, it more focuses on the visualization of data um, in terms of uh, gaining lots of insights of, let's say, um, Z notes wants to find out um, the amount of people that don't have access to A-level curriculum in a particular country. They take a bunch of metrics um, and then a data analyst would take all of this data and kind of give you a, a graph that's not standard in a way an Excel or a PowerPoint graph would be. And it would enable you to visualize the data and gain insights from it that you could, prob you could previously not be able to. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know it still sounds <laughs> quite complicated, yeah. But um, definitely, I mean, AI and machine learning, it's, it's cross-functional and it's interlinked. One can only happen by virtue of the other, yeah. whereas data analysis, you can think of it as a separate entity. Um, what, what a lot of people get confused sometimes is that, oh, I need to first um, perhaps be a data analyst in order to perform machine learning or AI. And, and that's, that, that's not correct, because there's a lot of um, data analysts out there who don't use AI or machine learning in their regular jobs, because mm -hmm. um, we um, we're particularly able to um, perform all sorts of mathematical models um, on data to figure out insights from it. And those models don't have to have machine learning, per se. So uh, yeah, I, I definitely think they are buzzwords, as you said, just being thrown around yeah. um, a lot. Um, and then in terms of implementing them for solutions, I always believe the best way to go about it is even if you're at your MVP stage like we are um, or you're designing a prototype or a pilot, um, the, the, the best way to go about it would be to take um, kind of, even if it's a small sample space of data, what a lot of people get wrong is that uh, they're focusing on a startup. They say, oh, we can't implement AI yet because um, we only have, let's say, 100 data points. Uh, well, that's not particularly true. I mean, even if you have a small sample size, um, you can definitely um, use um, kind of machine learning to get um, some sort of insights from the data that you might particularly not be able to um, using a, a regular XY graph or a linear graph or, mm -hmm. or so forth. So, I, I mean, there's a thin line um, between saying um, you're actually implementing machine learning and then actually doing it um, for your startup. But uh, at the same time, the, the good thing about this century especially is that nobody seems intimidated to do so. 
and that's what's leading this kind of exponential growth in tech. Yeah. It seems that even at the earliest stage in the most bizarre sectors, nobody would have thought about um, AI and machine learning are being implemented at all levels. Mm. It is really exciting, um, the kind of the revolutions that are happening, like and, and the incredible pieces of algorithms and technologies and models that are being developed literally day by day you know you you can <laughs> you go onto twitter and suddenly there's a huge explosion of right. this new software that's out and you what was the latest one the that language which was you could uh, that could process nlp stuff i don't know um one thing yeah, I, I, I believe you yeah, go by google uh, i think yeah. you're referring to google yeah, new yeah. Language. Uh, one thing that um i i want to kind of uh, mention from my side is that my my kind of brief uh, exposure to it has also made me realize that there is deep, deep, um, very abstract mathematics associated to it. Um, and this, this is the math that I've learned to back it. Like I got to learn in my fourth year of a master's degree. Um, and it's being used very, very heavily in, in these kind of new models, like with it's Bayesian yeah. or it's, it's, you know, like complicated linear algebra, whether it's, you know, considering, um, different large scale matrices and looking at vector spaces and all that. Um, and it again made me kind of reaffirm your ideas and really at the start where we often want to like decouple computer science and programming and development and software and tech from its very core beginnings of, of math. Um, and the, the truth is that they are deeply linked. Um, and if you really want to get to those, those top rungs of being not just implementing AI models, which there are many of, but actually using it and thinking about new new structures and really uh, kind of tailoring it to your solutions, um, unless you have a very strong background and basis in, in understanding the, these abstract concepts, it's quite yeah. difficult to adapt to it. Um, so just, just putting it out there, because I, I was surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, I must say, that all these kind of tools and things I was learning in a very abstract sense, or, you know, uh, Brownian motion and different... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah. uh, partial differential equations and stuff. I'm like, oh, actually, you know what? This 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 is actually being used very very usefully here. Um, yeah, and you're definitely right. And that like that kind of leads towards like a big hole in the kind of the education sector right now. Mm -hmm. A big gap in there where um, there's, I mean, almost unlimited resources online to implement mm -hmm. kind of these um, mainstream machine learning algorithms. Yeah. But, um, where you would see even if not you're talking about companies or even students where you would see them plateau um, in terms of their research is that if they're lacking that foundational basis in mathematics yeah um, that, that's definitely where you see um, the curve plateau in terms of um, are they able to go to one step further and customize their data set to a particular mm -hmm. algorithm yeah um, so, so yeah that's a really good point actually building off of that you know i'd love to learn more about what Turing does and specifically like discuss this kind of this gap um in the cs at school level versus uni level versus industry level um sure. and i think there's a huge huge difference I, I remember doing as level cs when i was one of the first ever exam that was being done by cambridge um and I, i'm looking at stuff that's being used in industry now and right. <laughs> crazy you know even now like the, the kind of the, the funnel which leads you know new technology going down all the way to school curriculum is too slow just too slow for a tech um so maybe highlight the, the challenges that you see but sure. also some uh, 
kind of opportunities because if there are students who want to get into the space and they're motivated, they're, they they should definitely be doing something. And what can they be doing? So, right, definitely. Um, so just first in terms of um, the gaps and that that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, just recently, I mean, like in 2019, I think it was less than 2% side an A-level computing exam. Mm -hmm. uh, and then even in that, I mean, the ratios of boys to girls was almost 10 to 1. Um, so, so when you're seeing just even statistically speaking, um, the way technology is advancing, yeah. uh, even you can take any technology such as televisions or telecommunications, and then you compare it to um, education of computing, which is the foundation of how this technology is actually built. I mean, yeah. there's a massive gap. Uh, and we, we should have been saying 20 years ago that computing should be taught as a core module, um, um, like mathematics and English um, in elementary school. Um, but now we have like one of the largest national curriculums in the world, like A-levels, and their first assessed A-level exam was in 2016 or 2017, I yeah. believe. So uh, it is, I mean, it's a huge um, kind of gap we're dealing with and we're already playing catch up. Um, yeah. And that's where kind of tiering comes in. So we're trying to provide STEM education and we're trying to do it to, um, through three levels. Um, we're trying to incorporate emerging technologies uh, and then we're trying to align with national curriculum and also align with the industry. So we're trying to be kind of the holy grail between what connects um, what the industry wants, um, yeah. what will impact the next five decades um, in terms of emerging technology. So in, that, in this case, we can say we're in artificial intelligence revolution almost um, currently. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, we do appreciate that the education system has been built, um, historically speaking, on standardized tests. And so we do need to figure out a way to connect it to the national curriculum that helps kids learn and progress and eventually reach, I mean, their dream universities or their dream companies or pursue for further education and so on. Um, so go, going back to kind of the gap within the market, I think what a lot of people underestimate is that um, a topic such as computing uh, I'm going to throw in a new kind of term here. It's called cognitive load. So co cognitive load essentially deals with how you process information in the brain and how you store the information. Um, and then you have two parts to it. You have kind of working memory, and then you have your um, long-term memory, which is what um, you would remember for the long-term, of course. And how that works is that when a student who has had no kind of exposure to computing before, um, if they kind of see um, a simple line of computing, like let's say int x is equal to five, which means a variable called x is equal to five and it's an integer, they have kind of a very high capacity of cognitive load. It's, it's too much of it. It's almost an influx of load all at once because mm -hmm. they're seeing a new syntax then they're seeing that you need to define the type of data that you're storing in terms of variable. And then of course, um, by virtue of just, you're learning a completely new subject that can particularly be even thought of at an abstract level, if you're mm -hmm. just telling them int x is equal to five. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, it's not like physics where 
you can imagine somebody on a parachute and analyze you can say okay the air resistance might work this way yeah, yeah. so all at once their cognitive load is just kind of getting this huge boom and it, it just seems that that that's what affects i mean research has shown that um that's what affects like even retention rates within stem so it's not that children are um, less inclined to try out stem that's definitely not the case um, even the computing exam, even less than 2% uh, of people sat it. But at the same time, year to year, A-levels is seeing an increase in the number of people who opt to choose it. But then what they're seeing a decrease, is, a decrease in is the retention rate of these STEM mm -hmm. subjects like computing. So, And, and that all goes um, with their predefined knowledge. I mean, if they're getting exposed to the language of Python at year 10, and it seems funny because to the older generation, this may seem almost absurd that we're teaching them a programming language in high school um, and maybe a tad bit early. But I don't think that's actually true. It's that we need to work together to kind of reduce this cognitive load. And how we do that is by introducing computing concepts in, in children in grade one. And by that, I don't mean have grade one students perform machine learning. I definitely don't mean that. Yeah. But e even introducing small kind of like a course, um, for example, like let's say um, making a puzzle, um, just the kind of logic involved in that you're analyzing patterns in a puzzle and they need to fit certain pieces. All those small steps are like kind of micro steps that can build towards eventually what when they have to choose an A-level computing exam or A-level mathematics exam, mm. their cognitive load all of a sudden is much less um, compared to what we're seeing in students now. So I definitely think to highlight some of these issues in STEM, people have to actually have to pay more attention to kind of neuroscience and psychology and um, yes. kind of, and there is research, there's really good research being done in these assets in these facets, but at the same time, um, I mean, not every school can afford to hire, yeah. right? A neuroscientist or um, a psychologist and so forth. Um, and then that highlights another issue of um, kind of funding and resources. Um, a lot of times, most state schools have one computer lab with an average of 20 to 25 computers. And, um, it's just hard. I mean, if you have a class of 50 and you all want to teach them GCSE computing, um, and it's just hard, like if yeah. they do not have a computer at their, at their hands all the time, um, that, that brings like the issue of resources, of course. So, but there's a lot of, um, I mean, just to be on the positive side, there's a lot of good stuff being done. Um, these days you can get a device called the BBC Microbit. It's only 10 pounds. And it's basically a device that um, um, even children as little as six um, are learning. It's something you just, um, you can wirelessly connect even to your phone mm -hmm. and there's an app and you can move kind of blocks of code and the device will read out your name and it has a small screen and so forth. So, so there is being advances um, in, in all of these kind of phases of technology. Um, but at the same time, I, I just feel like we're we're playing we're we're already playing catch up. Yeah. So, so it's definitely an interventions kind of needed, and that that's where I mean our large vision is to come in. Amazing, you're you're absolutely right in that. I love this concept of cognitive load, and it makes so much sense in your you know programming or computer science is a combination of a new language, new abstraction, and then in kind of a, 
a new kind of implementation as well. So it's it must be crazy to just be like thrown at this at like year 11 or year 12. Um, we're coming close to the end of the episode, Akash. And yeah. I, before we go, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts to kind of inspired and upcoming students who want to break into this tech field, who want to be engaging with AI and ML. They want to be, whether it's that or not, whether they want to be product managers, they, they want to be in this space um, and they are passionate about computer science. Um, we, we, we've highlighted some of the issues in the current educational system. How can we mitigate against them? How can we um, almost circumvent them? Uh, and are, are there any kind of tools out there, things like Turing, are there other um, initiatives that we can engage with? Sure. Um, yeah, de definitely. I, I mean, there's a lot of um, open source technologies out there. So, um, I mean, you're speaking to two audiences here. Um, if you're speaking from a parent's perspective, I would say when it comes on Christmas season, don't be afraid to gift your kid a micro bit because you never know what, what that might turn into. Just gifting mm -hmm. them, I mean, a, a small device of a micro bit or signing them to a coding class, um, even if not at Turing or at Turing, um, will kind of, it can inspire them to who knows, I mean, what in the future, right? And then in terms of um, children specifically, um, I would say that, I mean, most kids these days are kind of, they, they use Google as their second hand. They, they know everything to do about the internet. So don't be intimidated by these kind of open source platforms. And to name some, you have Scratch, which is um, a software made by MIT. It's block coding. Um, you, can, you can literally make a computer game within 10 minutes. Um, you can make a mobile application. You can do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, then you have um, then you have Google's AI platform, which a lot of people don't know about. Um, it lets you kind of take selfies of yourself as thirty images, and then it trains um, the images to to see that the next time you bring your face onto the camera, is it actually you or not? Mm. And e even there, if you're not implementing AI, you're actually seeing it being done. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of open source. I mean, there's almost a plethora of platforms I can keep listing, but we'll run out of time. Yeah. Um, but, but for the children, I, I definitely think, um, and I'll go to the kind of the, the stereotype, the cliche point of even if you're handling an RC car, like a remote control car, just, just try to think about how it works. I mean, and just yeah. kind of try to really think of, how can you make it go faster? Can I twingle around with the controller? Or can I move a wire here and there? Of course, I mean, taking all safety measures in place, <laughs> but to kind of, so so just kind of question things around you, question the technology around you. I mean, don't take it for granted that you have a mobile phone and you can call somebody and they'll answer in a second across the globe. Uh, uh, I, I would say that's definitely what we take for granted these days. So, and, and that goes for all people, not even children. Yeah, even course. if you're, yeah, even if you're a lawyer, I mean, just don't take it for granted that if you're going through legal analysis um, and a software tells you exactly what you're looking for within five minutes. I mean, kind of question how that process works, and then let your imagination guide you and hopefully it's um towards them because i think that's definitely what the world needs more of right now amazing don't be intimidated question everything and keep exploring perfect <laughs> thank you so much for joining us akash it's been really insightful and I, actually i've learned a lot uh, in these past 25 30 minutes as well so amazing to have you 
right. Thank you so much, Zubir. Pleasure right. to be here. Bye. And that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.